just we just thank you for this tremendous opportunity to gather together uh, on this amazing snowy morning in this warm, beautiful school to uh, celebrate everything you've done for us, celebrate and enter into this Advent season. We ask that through today's conversation, through Katrina speaking and sharing with us this morning, that each of us feel closer to one another and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, uh, I don't think Katrina really needs an introduction, although you may not know everything about her. I have tremendous respect for her and have been excited for this opportunity for a long time. So I think just go for it and we'll let you talk about whatever you want. Actually, it might not be. Is a, there's a, oh, yeah, it is. All right, sweet. Oh, we'll, uh, yeah. You're good. Maybe the battery's still good. I don't know what's up with that. Okay, let's switch here. Sorry about that. And then you were just saying, like, so we're going to hear all about your story, right? And I'm like, uh, that wasn't the message I prepared. So, <laughs> uh, maybe pieces of it. So, because uh, Luke had specifically, he's like, yeah, we want you to talk during Advent, since you're, like, come from a tradition that celebrates Advent. So, so happy, <laughs> happy third Sunday in Advent. Um, those, like, so I do, I grew up in the Lutheran church, and which does mark the church calendar, the liturgical year, and so there are for those just so we're all on the same page, um, there are four weeks in Advent, or more particularly four Sundays in Advent. So you go from Christmas and you work your way backwards. So like this year, uh, because Christmas Eve is on a Saturday, we get really full, full four weeks of Advent because like this is the third Sunday, next Sunday will be the fourth, and then we have almost another full week. But like next year when Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, we'll have a shorter season. That's your church nerd trivia for the day because Advent 4 will happen Sunday morning, Christmas Eve will happen Sunday night. So, anyway, so that's, um, yeah, it's part of my story is I can't help but be a church nerd and give you <laughs> odd trivia like that. Um, but Advent, I'm kind of glad Luke asked me to speak during this time because it's actually my favorite season of the church year. Um, and some of that is personality driven, that I'm a, I'm a person who can be kind of anticipatory in both good and bad ways, like in the bad ways when I can imagine a lot of ways that things can go horribly, horribly wrong when I'm waiting for something to happen, uh, but also in good ways that it, uh, I can imagine with a lot of, get a lot of joy and excitement out of imagining good things that are coming also as well, and um, uh, when I'm stuck in that worry kind of spiral, I don't appreciate this side of myself so much, but, but when I can get in one of those kind of joy spirals, it's uh, almost kind of more fun to in, enjoy the anticipation of something good that's coming than the actual thing itself. I don't know if anybody else finds that because like the thing itself might be just a couple hours or a day or the state fair it might be 12 days but <laughs> um, I really like the state fair too. Um, so but like the joy of anticipating that can I can ride that for months you know like I'm already state fair is eight months away and I can ride that joy of anticipating it for the next eight months. So um, anyway so Advent being a season of anticipation of the joy of Christmas, like that's my jam, right? Like, <laughs> uh, so I get a whole month to, to anticipate that. And um, and one time, like a long time ago, over 10 years ago, when I was in seminary studying to be a pastor, I decided I was really going to like live into that anticipation to, uh, and, and you know, I was really sick of the way Christmas is so commercialized and how it's like in our face of the store from September forward. So I'm like, screw it. I'm really like, live into Advent, live into that waiting for it. 
and I did not listen to any Christmas music, I did not do any baking, I did not put up a tree or any decorations, I tried to stay away from shopping for the whole month, like leading into it, and I found out on like December 25th, I was ready, I was ready for not only that day, which is like culturally what we kind of condensed everything of Christmas into, but also like in the church it's 12 days, so I was like, 12 days of Christmas, yes, you know, and now I want all these things, and everybody else was so sick of it by that point that by December 26, like the trees were on the curb, everybody took down their decorations, nobody was playing Christmas music anymore, so I talk about that as the year that Christmas passed me over, <laughs> or passed me by, so um, I've come to realize I either have to like build a cadre of countercultural Christmas observers with me to like begin for the 12 days after, you know, when it, when it officially starts with me, or I need to learn to compromise with the surrounding culture a little more. <laughs> And I, that's usually what I've, <laughs> what I've done and found. So I do listen to music now in December anyway. So, um, yeah. But, uh, but Advent is, is not just a season of waiting for this kind of one day that we put all the Christmas celebration into uh, to celebrate Christ's first coming into the world. It's also a season where we're more uh, tuned into a kind of deeper and more cosmic kind of waiting we're doing in this life for Christ to come again. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that is in a lot of ways, right? It's for Christ's promise to to come again. But then also like in our life, I feel like Christ comes comes in breaks into our life repeatedly. So we're also waiting for those moments of grace and those moments of healing and those moments of light to break in to dark places in our lives. And um, so another uh, important thing to me in terms of, of spirituality is and um, one of my favorite pieces of music is an Advent song that I think speaks really powerfully both to and from this kind of deeper longing and level of kind of waiting, this Advent waiting. Um, and it was, it's a choir piece. It was written over 60 years ago by a, a Lutheran organist and his wife. Their names are Paul and Ruth Mons. And they were local uh, for many years. He was uh, over in Minneapolis church there, um, and at the time, so it was like the 1950s, and their three-year-old had contracted a life-threatening illness, and basically the hospital and the doctors were like, there's nothing more we can do, just, so they, they wrote this song uh, together while keeping vigil at their three-year-old's bedside when they, when they felt he was, they were certain he was dying, so, uh, so we'll listen to that.
so that there, there was actually a happy ending to that story that their son did miraculously pull through and survive even when he wasn't expected to. Um, but the heartache and the hope infused in the song written at what they thought was his deathbed, um, I think is the real reason why Advent is my favorite season of the church here because I think it's the season that most, it's most honest about life and the life of discipleship and what it is, is more often like. Because uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but for me, it's, I feel like life is not this never-ending series of, of shiny, festive, bright, and certain celebration like Christmas Day can be, but it's a lot more often uh, patient, enduring, faithful, hopeful, waiting in the kind of darkness and uncertainty that kind of marks Advent. So, and I mean, it's, it's faithfully going to chemotherapy waiting in hope for a clean bill of health. You know, it's it's faithfully doing a job that pays the bills while waiting in hope for a better, more fulfilling job to come along. It's faithfully taking care of things that are beyond your job description while faithfully waiting for the right hire to come along and take those tasks back away from you. You know, it's, it's um, faithfully taking care of yourself while waiting in hope for a healthy child to be conceived and born into the world. It's, uh, for myself, Personally speaking, right now, it's faithfully working toward a degree and waiting in hope that you're actually going to graduate. <laughs> um, it's faithfully tending to a loved one as they're dying and or gravely ill and waiting in hope and praying for Jesus to quickly come and end this suffering. Um, in my, my own experience in my life and in, as I've journeyed with people as a pastor, uh, I've, yeah, I just feel like life has more often been a long season of such patience enduring, faithful, hope, hoping, kind of waiting for Christ to come again and to make a way where there is no way, to bring light where there only seems to be darkness, and to bring life where there is currently only death. Um, so that's, yeah, Advent is my, my favorite season because it's the season that speaks most powerfully to that reality. Uh, at the same time, that waiting and having hope while you wait is hard. Uh, um, it's really hard for me. Uh, I And like I said, I can get into those kind of worry spirals. Uh, I don't know if anybody else has that, you know, where you, uh, uh, and in that anxiety that develops then, I want to start being in control of things myself and uh, kind of try to run around and secure my own salvation. Um, and I think, uh, as I was thinking about this, I think Abraham and Sarah is a story that I turn to a lot when I find myself doing that because I think they are like the classic biblical example of anxious waiters. Because uh, like, uh, so because they, God comes to them and says, I want you to move from your family and the land that you've always known and go to this new land that I'm going to give you. And in this new land, you're going to be really blessed, it's flowing with milk and honey. And, um, uh, and, uh, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to have tons of descendants, and life's going to be great once you move to this new land. And so they move on faith. They, you know, and they get to the new land, and it is, there's a famine, there's a drought going on, and they're like, well, nuts, you know. <laughs> so, and they get anxious, and they, like, immediately set off for Egypt instead, because, like, well, this isn't, you know, they're not going to wait around for God to fulfill this promise or whatever, so they, they take off for Egypt instead, and and then when they get to Egypt, like Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, and they're worried that um, 
that uh, he might kill Abraham in order to be able to rightfully marry Sarah without any inhibition. So they lie and say that they're brother and sister. Uh, um, and so then Pharaoh just like, it's like, oh, okay, well, here's a bunch of stuff, Abraham, and now I'm going to marry your sister Sarah. And then God's like, wait a minute, <laughs> and, and sends plagues and is really upset. And then Pharaoh gets upset. It's like, what did you do this to me for? Why did you lie and say she was your sister? I wouldn't have married her if I knew she was already married to you, you know. And, and um, so, so then they're like, well, okay, we'll leave. So they go back. So they leave Egypt and they go back to the land of Canaan. And God reiterates the promise, like takes Abraham out. It's like, look at all these stars. This is how many descendants you're gonna have. Like, just chill, man. Like, things will come, you know. And and still, like, things aren't happening. There's no baby coming. So then they get anxious again. And in their anxiety, they like start scheming again. They're like, well, maybe if we, like, we have this servant woman, Hagar. Let's have a baby with her. Like, we'll just kind of adopt the baby or consider it Sarah's baby. And, and so they do that too. So then Ishmael is born. And still God like, keeps saying, like, why do you keep trying to sabotage what I'm trying to do here? <laughs> it keeps coming back, uh, reiterating the promise. But, uh, but they are just often anxious and always kind of trying to act and take control of the situation themselves. And, and I resonate with that story a lot, especially the last six years, I would say, like as I've been doing this PhD work um, and it meant it, and really God has provided in all of that, like the job, the, my main source of income kind of fell into my lap. Uh, uh, I didn't have to, but it came to me, I didn't have to go searching for it. And, and other times, like through the, the last six years, like, um, I'm, you know, living in a much thinner financial margin than I was when I was gainfully employed as a pastor, not the pastors who make much money either. <laughs> uh, but, but I was getting anxious about that, and even though like, different freelance opportunities would come up at different times when I would need them, like before I knew I needed them. And so really God has provided through this time, but I still was like Abraham and Sarah, and I get so anxious waiting for this degree to be finished or waiting for a job offer to come in or whatever, you know, that like I would, I would spend all my energy running around trying to take control of things myself and secure things for myself and way overbook myself in various part-time gigs. And, um, and in the process, I was closing myself off to God and to others and, and also like not being faithful to what God was calling me to do, which was the work on the degree, and, and instead, you know, kind of squandering my, uh, in that sense, I mean, it was always productive, but squandering, squandering the time and energy that I had to devote to the work I was being called to do instead of being faithful to that. So, anyways, so, um, yeah, so, so I think it's really easy living in the advent, the long seasons of advent that we do in our life to get, for me anyways, it's really easy to get caught in those kind of worry spirals. And for me, I need something outside of myself to pull me, to help pull me back out of that. Um, which is part of why I need the body of Christ uh, in the sense of the gathered faith community being the body of Christ and also in the sense of communion being the body of Christ. I need those constant regular reminders uh, of God kind of constantly, nope, I'm here, I'm present, I'm coming, uh, and I need someone outside of myself to, to speak that promise to me and help kind of pull me out of, and, and to help me wait uh, with patience and hope. Um, so, so I would invite you, if you feel comfortable today, because I know we often just go and take communion uh, for ourselves, but if have a buddy here, or make a buddy here, <laughs> invite you to uh, to offer it to each other as, uh, as a 
advent practice of having someone external to you remind you of, of that promise of Christ being present, coming and in, breaking into your life. Um, so, uh, and then, so I, I have another, brought another song, uh, this one's a little more contemporary, uh, that is also then what I feel is kind of an antidote, like I like to listen to this one, is kind of an antidote to, to how not to wait, right? To not close myself off uh, from God and others, but and not get kind of drawn into one of those anxiety spirals. But um, so I, I offer this kind of as a, a closing thought and, and prayer for all of us that we may be open.
people doing discussion too, or do you want? Sure. Yeah, let's do Let's it. try it. All right. What, uh, yeah. Yeah. What, what was that? Yeah, yeah, well, you're going to do a discussion. <laughs> um, who has anything you want to add? Uh, what does it make you think about? Do you, yeah. I have a church nerd question. Yeah. <laughs> that maybe you can answer. I so can I grew up in Lutheran church, mm -hmm. and we had an Advent um, candle holster. Yes. There were four candles, yes. and there was a central candle. Mm -hmm. But at my, our house, we had an Advent um, candle thing, too, mm -hmm. but there was only four. Mm. And so and the one candle was red, and the other three were white. Mm -hmm. But at church, we had the four white candles and one red. So it was, we just have, were we missing a candle, or was it, was it different? <laughs> oh, well, so they might, so, um, so yeah, so in the, in the church that practices uh, observing Advent, some do what they call an Advent wreath, and where they light, so the, the four candles, and they light progressively more candles yeah. every week. Yep. And then uh, in, a, in a church setting, that one in the middle would be what's the, called the Christ, Christ candle, candle yeah. uh, which is lit uh, to remind us of Christ's presence. So always on Christmas and Easter, are there like seasons like like that, uh, and, and also at baptisms and things, it's meant to kind of symbolize physically uh, Christ in, in the space. Um, so maybe at your parents at home, they maybe just, they could have put a Christ candle in there too, and you would light that on Christmas, okay. but, uh, <laughs> but maybe your parents just didn't, didn't do that part. So, yeah, it never, it yeah. never, it never worked, like I could never figure out how to, you know, make the, just make them, we're missing a week, you yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, no, you're just, you're just missing the Christ candle in your home. Once, no, you guys so. are just missing Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> December 25th is the first day of Christmas, and January 5th is the last, is the 12th day, so it is those tw that day in the 12th forward. Um, because there's like an urban legend that, that the, that's a catechetical tool, the 12 days of Christmas are supposed to stand for different things, but it's really like, that, I don't think that's true, from best I can tell that like, like a couple of people made that story up and then it's gotten, it's gotten viral. So, but, uh, but, or they, because they're at least they're trying, if it is a thing, it's, it's like, it wasn't from old times, it's like something that came up this past century that people decided to assign meetings like that and say, oh, this was this ancient 
catechetical tradition or whatever, teach people about things about Jesus. And, yeah, um, but yeah, no, so there are full 12 days, and uh, in, again, like, so, like, in my tradition, Lutheranism, like, they do still, like, I don't know that, that they observe, like, an individual kind of holy day within each one, but they do observe the full 12 days, so, like, so Christmas is the beginning, and then there's at least one, if not two more Sundays that usually come up in the calendar after that, that, that you're still observing Christmas, and, um, which, if you get to the second, for churches, like, Churches like that that also follow what we call lectionary, where they assign the readings for every Sunday. Uh, it gets weird the second Sunday of Christmas because it's usually the slaughter of the innocents story, um, because that's what happens, right? Like <laughs> when the Christmas like like stuff gets really real. But that's part, you know, like they have to flee. Mary and Joseph and Jesus have to flee to Egypt because Herod wants to. Like he's heard that there's from the wise man that there that the king of Israel has been born, and he wants to make sure it's not a threat to his political power and the only he's not sure which baby so he's just like kill everybody to another and um so yeah it's a, that's the dark side of the christmas story that you can get to when there's two sundays in christmas but um yeah so but but um traditionally uh epiphany the day of epiphany is january 6th and that's traditionally the day that we consider that the wise men came to visit or whatever and then that kicks off a different season in the church about light and enlightenment and um, since they were supposed to be wise but they're in, in kind of a more global focus since they came from far reaches of the earth to come and then presumably went back to there, where they were from and brought brought this new knowledge of this light of Christ there. So, did that answer your question? Sorry. Sweet. For me personally, um, I, I think it's the the hope while we wait um, that that things may it may feel like the darkness is closing in but the light it it's the promise of Christmas that kind of reaches into Advent you know that that the light um, shines in that darkness and, and cannot be overcome by it so you have any like daily Advent practices or like I try to follow like a, the Advent reading that we do here at Bloom every day and then I try to like journal a little bit about something hopeful like, is I there any practices that really bad at starting practices like that <laughs> I always have good intentions like I have this really nice book um, called Wait for the Light it's a bunch of like it's a daily reading kind of uh, and it's really nice readings and I'll be like really good for one week and then I fall off so uh, I'm, I'm real hit and miss for and same, same with Lent. I always like have such high hopes going into Lent, <laughs> and then yeah, within two weeks, I'm, I've fallen out of whatever habit I'm trying to develop. So. Oh man! I know I'm a bad pastor. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. They were going to ask me to speak again. <laughs> Perfection is what we require. Yes. The speaker here at Bloom, obviously. That's what I think, so. Yeah. No, probably. Uh, I say for me, um, music is more. Yeah. Uh, so pr probably if anything, that what I'm consistent at is is listening to music. So. Do you have like an Advent playlist then, or? Um, I was thinking about putting one together because as I was, yeah. I kind of do. So I I went to St. Olaf College uh, for my undergrad, and, and um, so that's down in Northfield, and they're very well known for a, a big Christmas festival that they do uh, at the beginning of the Advent season always. Um, because I have to do it while students are still around. Uh, um, so and that's kind of big. That's where the, the first song choir piece that I played came from one several years ago. They sang that because Paul Mons died, um, kind of dedicated to him. And um, But that's a, often a mix of, of Christmassy carol type things, but also Advent hymn 
so I got a lot of, uh, yeah, mix of songs, core music, and, and then more contemporary yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Um, you, you said the break into, you said that during your um, yeah. message today. Do you, have to, do you think we have to allow Christ to break into our lives, or does Christ break into our lives? I think Christ breaks into our lives. Yeah. Unbidden. Yeah. <laughs> so, which is good news to me. Like, sometimes it's scary news and not great because it's like sometimes Christ wants me to do something that I'm not real keen to do and breaks in and it's like, nope, go do this yeah. anyways. But, but, um, but it's also good news because um, if, if it was left to my own devices, I would spiral yeah. into that anxiety and close myself off. Right. Christ has to break in outside of that. big part of it for me is the uh, that we're doing it together, that all around yeah. the globe there's this it's together anticipation it's not just our community or a few communities in the northwest or the US but this is like a, a global Christian tradition right? of waiting together and um, for something more I think there's so much of the togetherness that seems powerful to me but
Santa Claus, but it also isn't just neglecting it altogether. Uh, that there's there's something beneficial that we pass on and inspire to that next. I don't have kids, but I, <laughs> um, my best friends, part of how they are are dealing with that is that they've lifted up Saint Nicholas instead of Santa Claus, uh, which like Santa Claus is built off the St. Nicholas tradition, who was a real living human being who, um, who was very generous. So they, they, and his day just happened this past week, it's December 6th, so they um, lift up him in his life of service and, and they were trying to give, instead of giving gifts from Santa Claus, they, they, give, they exchange gifts on St. Nicholas Day and then they encourage their daughters, they do some kind of service uh, and giving to others, so like they'll go shopping
so and and like you said, your friends and family who's giving too, because mm-hmm. that's just as important mm-hmm. as receiving. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, um, just bring it back to what Keen was saying. How do you, you know, you're balancing. Santa, Jesus, and it's like the evidence for either and looking like it's, it's even, but I guess maybe what would tip the scales maybe is like, uh, you know, um, stories of transformation that are powerfully only explained by Jesus and, and someone's experience. So maybe that could be used as a way, I mean, that's pretty heavy for Teddy at his age right now, but you know, at some point, I mean, that's, that. I mean, for me, that um, that has helped strengthen my faith is to um, a- allow that someone's transformation or seeing someone's transformation, and, and when they say it's from Jesus, not to discount it. Where for many years of my life, I, I did discount that. If someone said that Jesus was really the reason that they were, were changing or transforming, I, I would just ah, well, that's that's not evident. You know, that's not. Thing. So maybe that could be helped. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and I've thought a lot about too the. I think the what I really want him to know is the. I guess the truth behind the the names and the truth behind the stories and the truth behind because the the stories are just stories, but it's like what is in the stories that ultimately can shape his you know, his heart and his outlook on life and the way he views humanity. So I think that what is what we're trying to treasure what is, you know, not the, not the name Santa and Jesus, but like the ideal behind Santa and Jesus. So like what is the, uh, like what truth can we learn about how we are supposed to treat one another or how we are supposed to behave or how we are supposed to interact as a, as a race, um, as, people that are all just here for now, you know, what do we, I think that's what I, we're probably going to, I don't know, we haven't talked about it. There's other stuff going yeah. on. So there's stuff that's <laughs> fine Yeah. Things are working. Right now we're working on the gospel according to Dory, so we'll okay. just <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. that would be a sweet book. Yeah. Uh, this is making me think of something that I haven't really thought about, like how my parents told me about this and kept, like, wasn't a believer of Santa But uh, as parents, they would put one gift under the tree labeled to Jesus. Mm. And they would have us divvy out the gifts. And we'd figure, like, we'd have a little pile of the three siblings. And then where do you put this one? And that was the spot where they talked about how it's Jesus' birthday. Mm. And that's what they would, like, they could associate the gift giving to the reason why Mm. they Mm. wanted to celebrate the holiday that way. Mm. So that was a cool thing that I'd never really thought about for many, many years until this discussion. Yeah. It was always cold. Yeah. So, uh, well, he was a crappy carpenter right here. So. I think it's a great opportunity to teach grace for other people's beliefs um, to our kids because our household was the Santa police. And so when I was in second grade, Amy moved to our school. And the first real interaction.
interaction the two of us ever had was me finding out she believes in Santa Claus and telling her that he's not real, and her crying and telling me that I wasn't going to get any gifts and running away and probably hating me for years. Um, and that was not the best solution. I mean, we could have had a baby at 16 instead of 19 if I wasn't up Santa Claus. But... <laughs> something about like what we believe and what others believe that when they get older it's religious stuff but at younger like believing in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus like having grace for others and not like spoiling it for them and like letting them believe that and almost helping enter into it so you're not like trouncing on what someone else believes it's a perfect age and a great way to to start those grace conversations uh, is with this Santa story although Mia still believes in Santa I'm sorry that all these people don't but struggling to get up the steps because they were in the back and she had to get up there and she's just cussing and swearing and yelling the whole time. She's pissed off. And she ends up sitting, you know, across from them and they didn't have any part of, you know, taking her seat or not offering a seat or whatever. And she, but she just, I mean, yelling and she was a Native American woman so she was just screaming racial slurs at the table. You know, white kid, you know, black kid, they're all taking over the country and you don't even belong here. Just nasty stuff. Like, really bad. That's what they're talking about. Yeah, these two teenagers who had nothing to do 
they're just kind of sitting there taking it. You know, this is an older woman. She's probably got struggles. She has a king. He's telling me all of this, you know, situation that he sees. And she stops the ram. And about two minutes later, looks over at Jordan and looks at him and says, do you have the time? <laughs> and he was just, you know, baffled and laughing hysterically that she just went on this crazy, calling him a racist and calling him a horrible person and then asking for the time. He didn't, he like stopped the story and then was just going to go on his way. And I was like, well, what, what happened? Did you get him the time? He was like, of course I did. That's when it clicked. And I was like, okay, regardless of this huge issue and he was being insulted and yelled at and screamed at, and, you know, he saw that she was, you know, probably having a hard time. Anybody else want to share anything, or should we? Yeah. Boom. Um, 